You know, we don't usually consider what is broken to be beautiful, do we? In, in fact, in our modern culture, in our kind of materialistic society, often when something is broken, uh, we make the decision to just throw it away, don't we? I, I mean, it's, it's easier, it's less co- time-consuming. In many ways, it's less costly for us just to buy something new rather than try to repair what's been broken. And so we relegate what has been broken to garbage, rubbish, trash. Our time seems to be more valuable than our money, so we're willing to part with money so that we may have the time back that we would have spent on repairing what's broken. It's part of our human nature and our materialistic society. For us, generally broken is not beautiful. Cynthia and I, when we were engaged, we did what a lot of engaged couples do, and that is is we went out to a bunch of stores and re-registered for a bunch of stuff. (laughs) A lot of you registered for stuff so that you would get a lot of things at your wedding. Some of you may be engaged. You're doing the process of registering right now. And I remember registering for a lot of different things, and part of what we registered for was um, dishes and kitchenware and that sort of thing. And I remember one Saturday afternoon, Cynthia and I took a whole day, and we went out and we picked out um, different dishware, I guess, china. And we had regular everyday wear, and we had fine china. And so we, we decided on a particular pattern. Actually, Cynthia really decided on a particular pattern. I was just there, kind of there, I guess. You know, I mean, guys, we don't really get into that kind of stuff, really, do we? Let's be honest. So we, we chose a particular type of fine china. And so this is the fine china that we chose. This is Lennox Hanna. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> And so um, on our wedding um, in 1995, June, um, we will be married 19 years here in just a few weeks, um, we received a lot of this Lennox Hanna fine china. Plates, saucers, coffee cups. I I think I might have even gotten a mug or two in it. (laughs) And so we received a lot of what we registered for. And um, in 19 years of, of having this fine china, this Lennox Hannah, of all that we had, um, we've used this about 19 times. (laughs) That's what you do with fine china. You get it out about once a year, right? And I remember that when we were first married, we were living in South Florida, and we had this little tiny apartment. And I remember um, there were a few times that we got the fine china out just to get it out. And so one morning, we had coffee together, way before kids. And so we had coffee in our fine china with our saucers. And later that day, um, I wasn't working yet. Um, so Cynthia went to work. She had to go to work. She had a rehearsal that night and the china kind of sat there. These coffee cups sat there. And so I did what you're supposed to do with fine china. You're not supposed to put it in a dishwasher. We didn't have one anyway. It was a small apartment. We didn't even have a heater. It was South Florida. We didn't need it. And so I hand washed a couple of these nice dainty looking cups. And in the middle of washing one of these cups, I dropped it on the floor and the handle broke off. And it was a fairly clean break. It didn't go into parts. The the handle broke off. And so I I did what all new good husbands do. I got out some super glue. 
And I began to put together this Hannah Lennox piece of china. And I spent a lot of time doing that. I took the super glue and I pressed it against the handle and I put some on the cup and I pressed it together and I let it sit there and I held it like you do. And when it was done, it looked horrible. <laughs> it was awful. I, I mean, the, the handle was crooked. The edges were kind of rough. And there was glue all over the thing. I mean, it looked awful. So I did another thing that good new husbands do with something like this. I took it and I put it in a cabinet all the way in the back. So all the good stuff was in front. And I forgot about it until one day we had a party. And Cynthia began to get everything down and she saw it busted. She's like, what has happened? And I blamed it on my sister-in-law. Christy. I always blamed things on her. I always had fun with that. So anyway, so she realized that the china had been broken and that her husband, goofball guy, tried to put it together and it looked terrible. She wasn't happy with it. I wasn't happy with it. And so we worked on this piece of china for a long time, trying to put it back together. And it never was good again. For us, it wasn't perfect. It, it didn't meet our expectations. The repaired piece, the fixed piece, was never like the brand new one. It had a crooked handle, it had rough edges, and there was glue all over it. But we had seven more of these, so we were still able to drink coffee. The question that I have for you today is, what happens when your life is like this piece of fine china? Because we had seven more of these that we were given in our registry, but we only have one life, right? So when crisis happens, a situation is forced upon us, someone does something that forces us to be hurt and broken, or we make horrible decisions and we force upon ourselves a terrible circumstance, what happens with the repaired us. You see, I think part of the problem with humanity is we would like to just throw out the old repaired and get new, but we can't do that with our lives. We have to become comfortable with the repaired life that we have. And the problem is, is that we are severely uncomfortable. We are terribly awkward with the way that we are once we're repaired. We don't like the fact that we have crooked handles and rough edges and glue all over ourselves. And that's where Second Chances comes in. And that's what this series is all about. That's where we can discover from God's word what his grace is all about. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you for the life that we're given. And God, as we unpack what grace is, and as we unpack what it means to really have a second chance over the course of these next five weeks, God, I pray that you would give us insight and wisdom and discernment into understanding your grace from your word to the extent that we can. God, help us to receive your grace in our lives. Help us to extend that to ourselves and God, I pray that you would help us to extend it to others. God, help us to understand what being a person of the second chance is 
And God, I pray that you would help us to understand the depth of your love for each one of us. Help us to live in light of that grace. God, may your Holy Spirit open up your word to us as we study today and over the course of these next several weeks. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to begin today with a foundational message on really what grace is all about. I want to define what God, the God kind of grace is, because I think that if for us to have a proper understanding of what second chances is all about, even if we've had second chances and even if we've experienced second chances, I think that we need to go back to the basics and understand from God's word what grace is all about. And so today is really understanding what the word grace is is all about. And I want to begin today with just giving a simple definition, kind of a baseline for what we're going to do over the course of these next five weeks. Let's just dive right in. Take a look at your notes. You received them when you came in today, or you can access them through our website online. What is grace? Well, a working definition of grace is simply this. It is undeserved mercy. Grace is undeserved mercy. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. It's mercy that is given that is completely, I want you to hear this, undeserved. It's mercy that is given when you don't deserve it. I would imagine we have a lot of people who play golf in this room. And you know, golfers are interesting breed of people because we who play golf, and I'm, I'm one of the people who like to play golf. I've been playing since I was three years old. Um, we, we have a whole language of our own as golfers. Now, I don't mean the four-letter word language, although that's something, you know, maybe for another day. But we as golfers, we have all kind of terms that you don't use in the course of everyday life. We describe our clubs as blades or cavity backs or muscle backs. We talk about the fact that a golf ball has dimples on it. <laughs> I love that, dimples. Like, use that in a common phrase this week or a common sentence this week. We talk about a cut or a backspin. Or we talk about our score in the reference of bogeys and pars and birdies and eagles. We say that we duff or skull or shank a ball. We have this whole language of our own. But in golf, there's one term that we golfers really, really like. It's a term that's used at the first tee when you haven't had time to warm up and your playing partner throws you an extra ball. Or when you've hit a ball into a lake and someone says, yeah, you, you need to probably ha have a second shot. It's, it's this term that we use in golf when we've really messed up and made a huge mistake. And those of you who are golfers can say it with me right now. It's what? A mulligan, all right, that was awesome. There's a lot of golfers in here. That's the best word in golf, isn't it? A mulligan. I mean, they can't use it on the PGA Tour, or they'll be disqualified, but we can use it, right? Those of us who are amateurs, we can use the term mulligan. Uh, we ended a little vacation yesterday uh, with the family, and we were in Orlando doing some putt-putt yesterday, and I explained to the kids what mulligan was all about, and I really wish I had never done that. It's like every shot, can I have another one? Can I have another one? Can I have another one? Golfers really understand grace, don't we? <laughs> I mean, we really get it. But as easy as that is to understand in terms of a game, I think it is very difficult for us in our own lives to understand what undeserved mercy is all about. 
We have a hard time dealing with the undeserved mercy that God extends to us in our own lives. That's why we deal with guilt and shame. And that's why we're awkward with ourselves, our repaired selves. And we also have a hard time extending that kind of grace, undeserved mercy to other people in our lives because we really truly don't understand grace. And so today is a foundational day just to understand what grace is all about and take a look at God's word to understand what grace is all about. Now, I want to give you a word of caution before we dive in this morning, before we even start this whole series, because I know what many of you are thinking, those of you who've been Christ followers for a long time, you call yourselves mature believers. Here's my caution to those of you who walked in today and you heard that we were starting a series called Second Chances. You said to yourselves, and I know how this goes because I've said it to myself before, well, that's for them. This is going to be great for all of my friends who I want to bring. And that's great. I want you to invite your friends. But you see, Second Chance Living is about all of us. Because we all have had times in our lives, or if you're young in here, you will need a time in your life where you will need a second chance. There's something also that's interesting about second chance living, is if you've had a second chance in your past, you know very well that there could be a day in your future where you'll need a second chance again. Am I right? I mean, that's the whole kind of concept of God's grace, is that really it's unending. Take a look at your notes this morning. Let's find out some foundational things about God's grace from his word. Number one, we need to understand this. We are not loved because we are valuable. We are valuable because we are loved. We are not loved because we are valuable. We are valuable because we are loved. Now see, this is the opposite of our economy. We place values to certain things. We put a price tag on certain things in our lives. It could be a home or a car or our golf clubs, all of us golfers. Uh, we, we could have things in our lives that we place a price tag on. It could be relationships, our marriage, our, our, our kids, our parents. And we place price tags on everything in our lives. And once there's a price tag on that, I want you to capture this, then we determine whether it's worthy of our love. And you see, I think we have a difficult time truly understanding God's grace because he has a different economy of grace than we do. We are not loved because we are valuable. We are valued by God because he loves us. It begins with love and ends with value. Are you with me? Like it's different. It's the opposite. It's counterintuitive. It's counterculture. It's counter our understanding. And the Apostle Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says this, But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we don't have to look any further than the cross to understand this concept that God loved us first. That his love for us, please don't miss this, his love for us is not determined by some kind of value that we or others or he places on us. He begins with love. And we are valuable to him. Each one of you 
is valuable to him because he loves you. Whether you're eight or 80, he loves you. Whether you're wealthy or poor, he loves you. Whether you're educated or not, God loves you. And as simple as some of you may think that is, as elementary as you may think that is, I think that sometimes we forget about the fact that God's economy of grace begins with that important fact that he loves us. But God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we have this longing to understand God. We have this desire to study about him and, and understand him. And I've, I've heard it said before that we each have kind of a God-filled void in our lives. And we try to fill that with different things. And God's the only one that can fill that. And while that's all true, it is even more important to us to know what God thinks about us. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, it matters what we think about God, but it matters infinitely more what God thinks about us. You see, that is the basis for his grace. It's the basis for second chance living. The fact that God loved us. It matters what we think about God, but it matters infinitely more what God thinks about us. Point number two, the second foundational fact about grace and second chance living is that we must resist any attempt to place limits on the grace of God in our lives and in the lives of other Christ followers. Ouch, right? <laughs> I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of daily living, in terms of grace, right? You see, our tendency as humans is to try to limit God's grace, and, and we try to limit it in our own lives, and we try to limit it in the life of other people, other Christ followers. We, we try to press it down. That's what guilt does. It tries to press down God's grace. So I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not valuable enough. I want you to hear this today. If you're trying, either directly or indirectly, to try to limit God's grace in your life or in the life of someone else, you will fail miserably because it cannot happen. Because God's economy is different than ours is in terms of grace. There's this whole discussion in a book, in a letter that was written to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. And we have this book that was written by the Apostle Paul, one of the early church fathers. And he's writing in the first century to this group of churches in this area called Galatia. Now, Galatia was filled with Gentiles. It was in an area that's a little bit north of where Israel is and a little bit south of where modern-day Turkey is in a place that really we kind of can call Asia Minor. It's in Asia Minor. And Paul is writing, rather than to one specific church, he's writing to a group of churches because he's hearing something that he's very concerned about. He's hearing that some of the new Christians in this group of churches called Galatia are buying into a new gospel. The word gospel means good news. That they're buying into a new way to salvation. That they're rejecting the old way of salvation. Take a look at what he says in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. He's writing to these new Christians and he says, I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then he says this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel, again, that word means good news, contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. Now, please don't miss this this morning. Please don't miss this. The gospel message that God delivered by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross is this. Salvation by grace through faith alone. Salvation by grace, we're talking about grace today, through faith alone. Nothing else. Nothing else. You don't receive salvation through anything other than your faith in the grace that God provided through his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. And in this environment, in this group of churches in the first century, there were a group of people that were trying to lead the Christ followers to believe that there was something plus that. Like they were trying to teach them that there was salvation by grace through faith, plus something else. We'll talk about what that something else is in a moment. And Paul here is so concerned that these young Christ followers are buying into the fact that there's something else that's needed for salvation. And Paul here is saying that there is nothing else. You see, to God, broken is beautiful because of his grace. And if we understand that grace, then we can be comfortable with broken. But when we don't, we put pressure on ourselves that's undue. We think that we have to abide by a bunch of rules. We think that we have to do all these service projects. We think that there's all this stuff to do for salvation. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That may be part of living the Christian life, but salvation is by grace through faith alone. How does that apply to us in 2014? I believe that we trick ourselves sometimes into believing that there's something else. Like God can't accept me in my current condition with all of my brokenness. I I mean, I've got things in my life where, you know, I've got crooked handles and I've got rough edges. A lot of people know about my rough edges And I've got a lot of glue on me from being repaired. I don't think that God could extend to me grace. I'm here to tell you today that it is absolutely true that God can extend you grace. Through your faith in him alone, nothing else is needed. But you know, it's dangerous that we kind of put the pressure on ourselves that there's something else. But it's even more dangerous because sometimes we put it on other people. And we give up on other people. Some of you have given up on people in your life because you don't understand grace. Maybe you gave up on a marriage. Maybe you gave up on a spouse. Maybe you gave up on a child. Maybe you gave up on a parent. Maybe you gave up on someone who you go to church with because you don't understand 
what God has done for you and what God has done for all mankind by sending his son Jesus to die for us. Salvation by grace through faith alone. Alone. Point number three. Another foundational fact about grace and second chance living. We must recognize that second chance living is about a relationship with Jesus and not about following rules. You see, what these Judaizers, they were called Judaizers in Galatians, they were trying to take these Christians and say, well, yeah, that, what Paul is saying is right. What Jesus said is right, that you can have salvation through by grace through faith, but there's got to be something else that needs to be added to that. And they were trying to get them to go back and find salvation through the law, the Old Testament law. Rules, piety, righteous living. Listen, the Bible says that we, none of us are righteous. None of us are righteous. That we can only achieve righteousness through our, the faith in the fact that Christ died for us. And so these people were saying that salvation was through something else. And Paul warns them. He has a stern warning for them. And he says that those rules, those works, that service, those obedience played no part in the transforming work of Jesus Christ. It was through faith in him alone. In the next chapter of Galatians, he says this in Galatians 2, 20 and 21. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by, there's that word, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he says this in verse 21, I love this. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, that's rules, then Christ died for no purpose. You see, when we say that we need something else other than his grace, we're saying that Christ died for nothing. We're nullifying the work of God, that great work that we talked about over the course of the last week around Easter. We nullify what God did. We, we water it down by believing that there's something else and there is nothing else. And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. There has to be a standard for living. There have to be rules for living. There have to be things that we as Christ followers confront younger Christians about or people who are wayward. We'll get to that in weeks to come. And I will tell you that there is a place for that in the Christian life. We'll talk about the how and the why the problem is, is that we as Christians get arrogant and self-righteous and pious in our faith, and we become judge, jury, and executioner, not only in the life of others, but in our lives. And unfortunately, the church over the years has become so much more known for what it's against than what it's for. And I'm here to tell you today that the message of the gospel is that God was for us by sending Jesus' Son to die on the cross for us. Salvation by grace through faith. You see, I believe that when we become self-righteous, when we become pious, when we impose upon us something in addition to what God did through Jesus Christ, or we impose upon others something in addition to what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ, I believe that we do that because we have forgotten where we've come from. It's point number four today. We should never forget or move beyond the joy of that first experience with God's grace in our lives. We should never 
forget or move beyond the joy of the first experience with God's grace in our lives. I'm not saying that you can't grow in your faith walk. We'll talk about that more in weeks to come. I'm saying that when we forget about the joy that we had because of all that Christ did, then we take one step in the direction of not being comfortable with broken in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. I mean, it's interesting. If we're uncomfortable with ourselves in the broken state that we're in or the repaired state that we're in, we really are uncomfortable with it in other people's lives, aren't we? And it's because we forget about what God did in our lives. Listen, those of you who have been Christ followers for a long time, those of you who are mature Christians, I want to speak to you for a moment. Don't ever, ever forget where God has taken you from. Don't ever get to the point where you become arrogant or indifferent about what God has brought you out of. You don't have to live in it anymore, but don't forget the work that he's done. When you forget the work that he's done in your life, you're taking one step towards becoming completely uncomfortable with the way your life is and probably the lives of those who are closest to you. His stern warning, Paul's stern warning, is even if an angel, this is verse 8 and 9 of Galatians chapter 1, even if an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. It's pretty strong, isn't it? Like he's saying, even if a heavenly being is preaching something other than salvation by grace through faith, he needs to be accursed. And he says, and we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That part in there when he says you have received, he's wanting you to remember where you came from. You see, when we become arrogant, when we become judgmental in our faith walk, we need to stop for a moment and remember where Christ brought us from and remember what he's done in our lives. It was Martin Luther, the great reformer, who coined that phrase that I've been using all day. Salvation by grace through faith. And in the 1500s and 1600s, he and a group of other people realized that the church had become judgmental, that they had added to the gospel that great news of Jesus Christ. And when we become uncomfortable with our repaired selves, when we become uncomfortable with how God has taken the broken pieces of our lives, when we become uncomfortable with that and uncomfortable with it in the lives of other people, we forget that salvation is by grace through faith. And that's the bottom line of understanding the good news of second chances. Take a look at the bottom line in your notes this morning. There is no limit to God's grace in every area of your life, in every season of your life, and in every circumstance of your life, His grace covers it all. That's the best news of the gospel story. His grace covers it all. And for us to understand what second chance living is all about, we must first understand what God's grace is all about. What became of my fine china, that Hannah Lennox china that is so fine? 
Well, in 1995, I tried to fix it over and over and over again, and I finally threw it away. I had someone come up to me earlier and say, I can't believe you threw it away. I could have used it. I do art, and that would have been awesome. And I said, it was 1995. Give me a break. (laughs) Aren't you glad that God doesn't throw us away? Aren't you glad that God takes us and he repairs us and that he is comfortable with our brokenness and he is comfortable with the way that we've been repaired? You see, understanding second chance living is, first of all, understanding that his plan is better and understanding that we need to be comfortable with the fact that we might have some crooked handles We might have some uneven edges, and we might have glue all over ourselves, but God believes that broken is beautiful. We can too. I don't normally do this, but I want to give you a homework assignment over the next few weeks. I want you to do this. I want you to find, I want you to take this seriously. I want you to find something in your life that has been broken that you can find the beauty in. And I want you to write about it. I want you to take a picture of it. And I want you to share it with us. I I want you to find something that has been broken in your life. I already know exactly what it is. And I'm going to take a picture of it this week in my life. I want you to think of something that's been broken in your life. And I want you to think about what God has done with that. And how he sees the beauty in your own brokenness. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you so much that you decided not just to throw us away. You didn't relegate us to rubbish or trash or garbage. Even when our lives were in pieces, you loved us. Even when we made terrible decisions, the consequences of which were life-altering. You love us. God, you loved us enough to give us a mulligan over and over and over and over again. And God, your grace is never-ending. And God, I'm thankful that as much as we try in our own lives to suppress your grace, as much as we may try in the lives of other people, we can't suppress your grace. It covers us in every area, in every season, in every moment of our lives. God, I pray that we would walk in that grace. I pray for those who are here today. Maybe they um, are Christ followers and have been for a long time. Maybe they would consider themselves mature Christians. But God, the way that they've been treating themselves and the way they've been treating others does not reflect your grace. Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus today that you would help us, those of us who've been Christ followers for a long time, to never forget where we've come from. Never forget where you brought us from and where you're bringing us to. And God, may we live in the light of your grace in our lives. May we extend that to ourselves and extend it to others. Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus right now for those who came in here today and They've never once taken advantage of the second chance that you offer. 
Listen, if you're here today and uh, you say to yourself, I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've never accepted that grace through faith. I want to encourage you and challenge you to do that today. To let this day be the first day of your second chance living. And so I'm going to pray a prayer here in a moment. And the best way that you can and the best way that you know how, I just want to encourage you to, to listen. And if you mean it in your heart, just to follow along silently. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for my brokenness. Thank you for beginning to put together the pieces of my life. <laughs> Thanks for the rough edges, the crooked handle, and the extra glue in my life. Today, I want to accept you as my Savior. I want to put my faith in the grace that you provided through Jesus. Today, I want to become your child. If you're in here in this room with every head bowed and every eye closed and you just pray that prayer silently with me, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Thank you so much. Anyone else, please keep your hand up for just a moment. I won't embarrass you. I see you over there. Thank you. Anyone else, just keep your hands up for a moment so I can see them so I can pray for you. Thank you. In the back, I appreciate that. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? with every head bowed and every eye closed, those of you who just raised your hand, just look up at me for a moment. I promise you, I won't embarrass you. I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer today, um, just to let us know by filling out that card at the bottom of that connection card that you got. Just let us know about your decision. Um, you can take that back to the guest service area, and they're going to give you a Bible. Um, and we want to really strongly encourage you if you made that decision today to be a part of that starting point class that Cynthia talked about earlier. I'm going to be a part of that. we got other people who are going to be a part of that so that you can really be grounded in this new faith walk, okay? I want to encourage you to do that today. Father God, thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you, God, that when our lives are ruined, you reach down with love and you reached out to us by giving your son to die. And God, we want to walk in the light of that grace today and in our lives. And I pray that you would help us to do that. In Jesus' name I pray.